Providing insight into healthcare from a multidisciplinary approach, this is the Fostering Wellness Podcast. I'm registered massage therapist Matt Wells, a rehab professional, joined by my co-host, Joel Foster, a psychotherapist and mental health professional. Let's get better together. Hey everybody and welcome back to the next episode of the Fostering Wellness Podcast. I'm joined as usual with my co-host Joel Foster. Hello everyone. And for this episode we're actually going to do a continuation from our Clinically Significant series. So I guess we can call it a series. Not that there's two of them. Yeah, we've got two of them now. So, <laughs> um, so we're in the last episode of this kind of uh, a series. We brought up a couple of case studies. We're doing a similar type of episode this time, uh, but this one's going to be more focused on some uh, potentially dubious claims. Mm. And we're going to try to unpack some stuff to see if you know healthcare, rehab, uh, medical information, anything like that is totally infallible. So. I, I guess my goal with this, Joel, was to uh, kind of get people critically thinking about even healthcare instead of having blind faith in every single person they come across in the field. Um, not to say people should always be like cynical of healthcare, but maybe. Why not? Let's <laughs> all just be cynical all the time. Um, but maybe a bit more skeptical. Yeah, I like that word. Yeah. Skeptical. What do you think about that? Yeah, and uh, that was my focus as well, Matt. It was kind of. You know, finding, you know, something that was, you know, I guess the the discrepancies between what good, solid knowledge, research, yada, 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 practice, um, and what's just people maybe altering the truth or, you know, things like that, hint, hint, foreshadowing, yada, yada, yada. yeah, but yeah, that, that was, I think, uh, critical thinking. I really like that um, because critical thinking is so important in so many different facets of our life. Um, so when it comes to one of the most important facets of our life, i.e. our health and existence, <laughs> yeah. you know, critically thinking about how we approach our health and how we approach that, um, yeah, I think is, you know, my main focus and sounds like your main focus for this type of episode too. Yeah, just get people to take more control of their their own health rather than, again, like having blind faith in people. Uh, Not to say that if you go to see somebody and they make certain claims that you should automatically disregard them. Again, that would be more cynical, but maybe do your own research and not necessarily (laughs) through just Google itself or WebMD, but (laughs) get other opinions in the field from other people that you trust or other health practitioners that you may book in with or talk to. Um, try to get your hands on as much information as possible and try to make your best informed decision that you can from the breadth of information, not just one source. Yeah, and if I can jump in there, Matt, I'll also note that in, in previous discussions we've talked about, you know, if something does work for you, continue to do it. You know what I mean? Like, you don't have to um, challenge everything to the point, again, where you're being cynical and you're you're really... But if you're finding that, you know, we've even talked about, like, you know, if it's a placebo effect or something like that, and you find that it's making you feel better and you are living a healthier life, then we're not going to knock it, right? Placebo is real. Just because you get a placebo effect doesn't mean that it's bad. Yeah. Right? So I just wanted to kind of throw that in there that you don't have to be a, a wealth of knowledge and information and challenge everything, but, but 
to do so at, at certain times and to be a little bit wary and a little bit uh, a healthy level of skepticism. skepticism. Love it. All right. Uh, you want to start off with the case studies and then uh, we'll just talk about it. Yeah, sure. So um, my case study involves a psychologist. Um, his name is um, Hans Eisenk. I'm probably butching that. I, that sounds German. It is German. <laughs> hey. Yes, you got it. Well done. <laughs> the Hans really gives it yeah, away. Yeah. yeah, I'm just picturing uh, Die Hard. Born in Berlin, I believe. Um, so Hans um, was a, a very popular psychologist, researcher. Um, I read somewhere that he was um, the in the top three cited. Uh, most cited psychologists um, next to Sigmund Freud and was it um, Jean Piaget, I believe. Okay. Um, again, I'm digging into my memory banks now, but I'm pretty sure it was two of them. It was two popular psychologists. Um, and what his research was on was intelligence and personality. Um, and... Uh, there was another study that said he was like the sixth most controversial psychologist, uh, um, I guess popular psychologist. And one of his claims that I wanted to highlight was that um, in uh, certain personality types were more likely to um, contract a serious illness um, contract, not contract, or develop, um, like cancer or heart disease. So he proposed that hey, these types of personalities um, uh, are more likely to get these diseases. And of course, people were like, well, "God damn, that's amazing! It's going to be so important moving forward." Yeah, oh my god, we'll just keep an eye on these people here that fall in this personality category. And that's, that's before I even, you know, side note here, that's before I even say, like, what is a personality? How do you measure personality? How do you rank people based on personalities? Like, I have a healthy level of skepticism when it comes, into, <laughs> when it comes to putting certain people into boxes like that. Yeah. Um, I've done intelligence tests myself, so, or personality tests myself, you know, um, was the Myers Briggs and and, uh, and those types of uh, uh, quizzes. So I won't knock them all together; they're fun. But <laughs> what he would suggest then is, if you did this and you can't got a certain result, you were potentially more likely to get cancer. Wow. Um, anywho, um, there's been tons of challenges, and I was reading one article, and one of the challenges actually. Um, showed or suggested that he had been fudging his data. That um, there was one set of results or something like that where, um, oh, I'm not going to remember the name of the people who he collected from, but basically he was working with um, somebody from Yugoslavia and somebody from Germany that were collecting data on cancer patients. And there was one set of data that almost perfectly correlated with his theory um, and people went back and, and looked at it and, and said 
this can't be like this works almost it's too perfect it's too nice yeah, right right um and what what people were saying or researchers that were trying to debunk this were saying you know the, he like just like fudged the data and didn't put enough random error in there to kind of make it look more realistic right um and so um there was different cases like that where he would propose something and his research would be questioned and scrutinized and uh, anyway um the article i was saying was you know uh, basically due to his poor research and and his poor ethics in terms of how he conducted his research that he was kind of pushed off this pedestal where he was up with people like sigmund freud and and those um, even though Sigmund Freud isn't exactly he had his own controversy without controversy, <laughs> you know. So um, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you could pull um, a, a plethora of large names from psychology that are controversial that uh, we could discuss. But I, I, what I liked about this one, Matt, was that he's so popular. He was cited a bunch. Like, people were loving his research. And and I, I'm not suggesting that all of his research is um, infallible. Right. <laughs> um, that, you know, th- I'm sure that there's... I haven't studied him myself. Um, so I, I can't say that there's nothing there that's worth... The, that has value. Um, but, you know, this stuff was cited. This stuff was used. Um, and uh, another little side note to add to the controversy, this type of research around heart disease and cancer was funded by Big Tobacco. Huh. Mm. Okay. Yes. So uh, um, policies are being affected by people who are stakeholders. Possibly. Okay. I won't, you know, th- again, this is me just doing a bit of research on this fella and like, you know... We can't know exactly what influenced him or anything like that, but it is pretty, you know. It's uh, interesting. It's interesting for sure to kind of line that up and see, uh, again, to kind of feed into the skepticism um, that maybe he was affected. And so knowing things like that, I guess, connecting it back to what we were talking about earlier, knowing things like where does the money come from, where, what's the purpose of the research uh, we you know yeah one of the things that i learned uh, along the way matt is researcher bias yeah and, and picking up a project for the sake of trying to get a certain outcome exactly right? and how that influences uh, results and stuff like that um but yeah yeah i, I thought it was uh, uh, really interesting and, and to go back to how cited he is and everything like that mm-hmm. and then to come out and and find that uh, he like fudged numbers and and um, skewed data and stuff like that. It's like, well, geez, should he have been cited so much? Yeah. Question mark. Um, well, I, I had a question about that because sure. that's that's pretty interesting. So, was it ever at the point that you know of where people were actually deemed when they were deemed at risk for having these diseases? Was that also? Uh, I guess did the did the medical institutions at the time also support that when he would tell somebody that yeah you're more at risk to have like let's say heart disease was that also backed up by medical doctors or were they skeptical of it it's just they were kind of getting pushed to the side compared to this brand new amazing research that this guy came up with that is fudged 
Yeah. Well, so I don't know, you know, exactly how often and when it was challenged. I do know um, the article I was reading, the, um, the, the latest challenge was in like 1992 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so fairly recent. I think he, he was doing his research um, 60s, 70s time span so it was a little bit after right yeah um but i i am not sure exactly the answer to that okay um i would imagine that like sigmund freud when something like this comes out it's so easy to look at it and be like well that makes sense yeah right that that seems reasonable that you would have penis envy if you don't have a penis. Yeah, of right? course. Why, why wouldn't you want a penis? <laughs> You're so great, um, right? So like, I, I can't I can't speak to it specifically, and I don't want to. Again, in our episode on healthy skepticism, I don't want to be putting out you know claims that are unfounded. Yeah. But um, my personal opinion, um, where it was cited so much and where it was so popular. Um, one of these like pop psychology things that comes out and people like are like yeah let's get on yeah um, I would imagine that it was somewhat um, regarded as um, uh, realistic or that's not the right word I'm looking for that that it was seemingly true I guess like efficable. sound or efficable efficable like yeah yeah um, better word realistic efficable. anywho um, <laughs> that people were looking at and saying like oh yeah this is something we can use I, I imagine that there was some of that but um, uh, I'm glad that there are people who dedicate their lives to debunking research and and doing meta-analyses and stuff like that because I know I wouldn't be able to do that it's um, a lot of work. Sit down and, <laughs> and research people's research that people researched on doing research. And it's like, no, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. I, I will I will take the secondary source and, and have a read through that. Yeah. Um, rather than do the research myself. It's tough because when people do fudge the numbers like that, they could be one of the most brilliant minds of our time. But if they fudge those results, how much of the research was actually true yeah i mean it's a shame when people do that because there could be very good studies that he's done or research or like anything uh ideas that he's put out that could have been very popular but you know to do that to such an extent and make such a wild like huge sweeping claim that we can predict disease from personality yeah is uh that's a tough one to overcome yeah yeah wow did you learn about him when you're going through school it's funny you asked that question because no, ah. his name did not come up. Um, we did do Sigmund Freud, we did do um, Piaget, um, and you know some other um, psychoanalysis like. Um, uh, oh my God, I'm going to forget. I'm doing a good job now. Remember my <laughs> school <laughs> studies. Um, well, all the like popular high profile guys um, that you hear exactly yeah. like the psychoanalysis, the behavioral stuff. We did a history of like all that, but his name did not come up. Interestingly enough, wiped from the record. <laughs> yeah, yeah, possibly. <laughs> um, and and that you know, of course, when I saw that come up, uh, that also piqued my interest. I'm like, I just never heard of this guy. Yeah. And I read that he was the third most 
cited or at the time he was the third most cited I was like geez that's weird I haven't read anything that was cited by him or maybe I have and didn't notice or yeah you know or maybe like any good findings from him are now attributed to other people or something like that who knows yeah who knows but uh, it's funny that you bring up uh, fudge numbers and bad stats and possibly uh, uh, I'm not going to say tampered with research but not great research Mm. um because with my case study, uh, it's not so much a case study as it is something that happened during COVID. Okay. Uh, that's pretty interesting. Ooh, recent. Yes, uh, very okay. recent, actually. Right. So everybody remembers back to when we were all quarantined, like the world was pretty much shut down. and uh, Some people still going through that. Yeah, some people still going through that. Yeah. And, we are uh, lucky here in Newfoundland. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. are very lucky here. We're actually doing very well. Yeah. But um, this particular event happened in Canada, uh, in Ontario. Oh, yeah. And so when things started to open back up, uh, certain essential services were opened back up. So like rehab clinics, like certain medical things, you know, yada, yada, yada. Um, shortly after things started to open back up, there was this uh, news article that came out that I remember reading back then um, and being very awestruck by the claims that were being made. So before I get into that, I want to preface this by saying that there is, I'm not trying to pick on any profession here. I'm not trying to pick on any individual, but what I am going to say is that these claims that I'm about to make, or that I'm about to say that other people were making, were all made by uh, one uh, uh, person. Body. Body. Yeah. <laughs> One particular uh, group of people. There we go. Perfect. So, chiropractors. Uh, in Ontario, uh, shortly after uh, things started opening up, there were claims that were being made that chiropractic spinal adjustments uh, boosted the immune system by like 200% and that it could actually fight off COVID. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. So... From most people, from the outset looking in, uh, probably would already have some sort of skepticism about that, but maybe not. Mm-hmm. Uh, in any case, these claims, uh, these claims kept coming out, and what ended up happening was uh, a group of researchers and journalists got together, uh, and these were like high-profile people. I think one of them was like the, the head research chair of Canada for medical law and order, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um but they researched these claims that chiropractors were making. And again, this isn't chiropractors as a whole. It's just a certain amount of them within that body. It just so happened that it was yep. just chiropractors. Gotcha. Right? Okay. So anyways, they went and researched this and they were looking at how people could make these claims. And so what they found was that they commonly cited, like the chiropractors commonly cited this paper that apparently came out in the 80s that showed that the Spanish flu back in the day had lower mortality rates from people who had spinal adjustments. So the Spanish flu. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that, that's how far this goes back. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and uh, you know what? These researchers, it's their job to do research. It's their job to... Uh, and that, uh, like analyze all this stuff. Yeah. Uh, one guy, he's actually he owns a nonprofit called Bad Science Watch, and this is his job is to look up dubious claims and okay. debunk them. Yeah. And they couldn't find the paper, no matter how hard they they looked, every database couldn't find it. Okay. And this was a team of researchers that couldn't find anything. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, uh, 
this group ended up sending over 50 cease and desist letters to uh, chiropractic places across Ontario telling them to not make these claims anymore. Um, one of the guys has actually been <laughs> filing lawsuits against chiropractic institutions for making claims about spinal uh, manipulation since like 2017. Mm. Um so he was really invested into this. And so once word got back to the actual institutions that, you know, the governing bodies of chiropractic care, so the colleges and associations, uh, they put out the information that, hey, everybody who is a chiropractor and general public, uh, there's no information out there that supports this stuff. There's no reason to believe that spinal manipulation will change your immune system. It definitely doesn't boost it. Uh, Please don't believe these claims, and anyone who is making these claims, you will be receiving a cease and desist letter. Oof. Wow. So, yeah, they really brought the, the band hammer down on them pretty handed. hard. Yeah. But uh, for good reason. Yeah. People, it, it's it's a pandemic, yeah. and people were going out of their way to put themselves at risk to get a treatment that does nothing. Yeah. Uh, does nothing for the uh, the like COVID pandemic, anyway. Yeah. Um, but... The reason why I would bring that up, uh, again, skepticism, would yeah. be very healthy in this sort of situation yeah. because you don't want to contract COVID on your way to potentially get treated by COVID and then no. find out that the treatment does nothing for that virus. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's interesting because when you bring up like dubious claims, there's obviously a spectrum here. There, there are things that are so far outside the realm of being okay to to claim which is this is one yeah but then there's the whole spectrum of okay well there's mixed research there's you know mixed opinion mm. there's different nuance to certain things and so yeah you can have things all the way at the end of the spectrum but on the other end of the spectrum there's probably things that are common knowledge that you and i both are familiar with that doesn't line up with research mm -hmm. uh, but logically it sounds correct yes right so back to your case like if there's a certain personality that maybe experiences stress more. Yeah. Well, you could kind of see how you would right. be more likely to get heart disease. or Exactly. Yeah. So it's like if you put a certain spin on certain claims and you claim to back it up with research, how many people are going to do their due diligence and go through the research to prove it? Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. So then... <laughs> As I've said earlier, <laughs> not I. <laughs> but that's the thing. That's yeah. that's generally how most people get their information. They'll yes. hear expert opinion and then form their opinion off of that. Yeah. Now, that expert opinion could be terribly flawed. Yeah. So how do you distinguish the good and the bad? Well, it's really hard. It is really hard. So this is where skepticism comes in and can really benefit people. Rather than basing your opinion based off one expert, take it off of a bunch and then form your opinion off of that. Now... The the other thing when it comes down to uh, reading research and making sure everything that you're doing or everything that you're hearing is evidence based is uh, <laughs> you you have to spend time reading research if you're a clinician mm -hmm. uh, and there's really yes. no way around it yeah and one of the worst things that we can do is just read a textbook and then take that as fact right a lot of people do that too you'll do like in your profession you have to do some sort of continuing education to keep your license i'm assuming yes most healthcare professions do yes i i and to say matt i do do research just in case anybody's wondering joel really doesn't like research no i like i do it's not your job it, but you do, do it exactly yes, yes. exactly <laughs> so 
when we're going through these courses, there will be often times where the research presented is in the form of a textbook or someone who made the course, but is that peer reviewed? Is that actually factual? Does that line up with current research? Yeah. Eh, hard to say. Yeah. This is where skepticism comes in. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a tough thing to distinguish the good from the bad information, but just keep in mind that a lot of the common knowledge that you hear throughout life as it relates to healthcare, uh, pretty much anything, um, even though it's common knowledge, may not be the real, the reality mm. of the situation. Yeah. And, and I think this is, you know, now that we're, we're discussing this and we're into this, Matt, I think this is really interesting discussion to have in the point in, uh, in history that we are in right now where um you know there's there's these ideas being thrown around like post-truth and i'm not sure if you're familiar with this but related to the uh, um, current president's reign um (laughs) over the past four years where you can make claims that are unfounded and untrue and people will just take it for what it is because it's coming from somebody of a position of power. Yeah. Um, and so then it doesn't matter. Um, I, I, I was, you know, this is a little off topic, but, but I think it's relevant to kind of what we're discussing here in terms of being skeptical and doing research and, and whatnot, where um, there, there's an actual, like, uh, idea around... Um, debate or something like that, like philosophical debate, where you just throw as many. It's called gish galloping. Okay. All yeah. right. Yeah. Where you just like throw as many lies and and untruths into like a yeah. debate or conversation, and um, it just overwhelm your opponent. Yep. With bad, <laughs> bad information. And you don't have time to fact check anything. Yeah. It's just there's you make like a hundred claims yeah. and. I mean, where do you go from there? You can't address every single one. Nobody has time for that. And you're in the middle of a debate. You can't whip out your phone and fact check a hundred different things. But yeah. it's, uh, yeah, that's a, it's a form of, uh, of argument or a debate called gish galloping where you throw as many uh, claims to the wall as possible and hope a handful of them stick. <laughs> stick. Yeah. And so um, I think it's interesting because one of the... Um, the primary researchers for collecting the data on cancer patients that I mentioned in my case study, um, not not Hans himself, but somebody else who helped with the research, um, came out and said, like, these claims are untrue, um, people didn't understand the research, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. And so then you're like, oh, okay, well, are they untrue? But then there's, like, a bunch of other people that came out and be like, yeah, no, they're untrue like yeah there is so obvious that the data is skewed and stuff like that um but f- some people may see that and it's like well yeah he was in the research he knows how the research went yeah he handled the numbers and stuff so you know it he's like 80 now or something like that like he so like why is he you know it, well i guess you know you could question why he's still defending it but like Maybe some people would be like, why would he lie about that? And then just take what he's saying for face value and what this very popular researcher was saying for face value. And yeah, right. Then we get to a point where we have to sit down and, and 
do a podcast on uh, skepticism. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. And uh, one thing that I found really tough when I first started reason research was, you know, everybody does the, the, the usual read the abstract and take your opinion from that, right? It's one of the worst things you can do. And me in my first year of university. Yeah, same. So (laughs) the, the toughest thing is when you're reading the abstract and if you form your opinion off of that, and I'm not trying to deter anyone from reading research, if you have to start there, start there. Just start reading more, and then the more invested you get into it, it's likely you'll develop an interest, and then maybe continue on to like the bigger body of evidence and the entire paper itself, not just the abstract. But one of the weirdest things is there are a good many papers that the conclusion and discussion uh, uh, portion of the paper uh does not line up with the methodology and Mm. the results portion, Mm -hmm. which means that the interpretive findings would be different in some papers compared to what actually happened in the research and what they found. And you mentioned it before where it's uh, researcher bias and, Mm -hmm. you know, there's not many people that will research things that they aren't interested in. Yes. So that leads you to believe that there's probably at least a small amount in some places uh, of people interpreting things in the way they wish to see them mm-hmm. instead of what's on paper. Yeah. So I'm trying to remember one study that I saw, and uh, this one is actually outside of uh, my field, but it's one that I looked at when I'm, I'm currently going through university for, uh, for a degree, and one course I had to read uh, a few papers on human resilience. Okay. And one paper that I read was on how effective... Uh, after-school programs were for uh, students that were mentally uh, like unwell. Mm. Okay. And so they measured to see, the whole goal of the course was to see how resilient certain people are in different populations that may be uh, looked at as being vulnerable mm-hmm. and what separates the ones that come out of that on top versus the ones on bottom. But in the research paper that I was reading for the after-school program, the conclusion said that uh, after-school programs are uh, are effective at bolstering someone's resilience to make it through school. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's funny is in the control group, they had a group of kids that went through uh, like no help whatsoever. And on the uh, the actual research group, they put them through after school programs and they you know measured the difference between the two. But there was a big, you know, red flag in that for me because in the research group the parents weren't comfortable with just letting them go through the after school programs that the researcher research yeah, researchers deemed appropriate they also put them through other after school programs in addition to that unbeknownst to the researchers uh, so you know <laughs> nice <laughs> could they be effective yeah but how many different things do you need and what were they doing and you don't yeah. have any control over that so yeah. You're just saying that this group of kids who had extra help on top of what the researchers were controlling for got better. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So you're telling me a ton of help for a certain individual that's put, uh, that's almost individualized by their parents and the research group would help. Yes. Of course it would. Yeah. That makes sense. (laughs) Doesn't say anything about after school programs themselves because it wasn't controlled for. But uh, yeah, it's just one example of. You know, the results not lining up with the methodology and learning how to read both and see those uh, those problematic re- interpretive findings versus what actually went on. Yeah. Yeah. And, 
you know, what was interesting, um, I believe I read somewhere in, in one of the articles I was reading, um, that nobody followed up his research. Like, they, like, like they, they scrutinized it, and, and obviously that's how it came out, that it was controversial and yada, yada, yada. But nobody was, like, working with him was like, yeah, hey, like, I'll, I'll take this on and I'll keep doing this research. It was kind of like, hey, I did the research. Here's what I found. Take it for what it is. Yeah. And and then so, like, people were like, oh, yeah, no, this is great research. And then there was other people, like, questioning stuff. But, like, nobody was like, hey, I'm going to keep doing this research. And then eventually it, you know, kind of uh, got debunked and stuff like that anyway. So then it kind of fell uh, fell away. But, yeah. um, you know, to go back and, like, look at some of the, like, really big claims. And like I mentioned earlier, like the, the pop psychology. And, and I'm sure that there's um, something similar in your field. I call that the uh, Instagram rehab. The Instagram rehab. <laughs> I like it. Um you know, these, these bold claims and, and to go back and be like, hey, wait, hold on now, where did this come from? Is anybody doing this research now? Yeah. Is it still relevant? Did anybody scrutinize it? Uh, and, and I'll ask all those questions when you see something. If something's too good to be true, Matt, yeah. it usually is not true. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And uh, unfortunately, that's what gets the most views. Yes. Um, it's funny because I was having a conversation with a, uh, a friend of mine on Instagram and we were talking about how evidence-based practice or evidence-based practices yeah. are, uh, that's relatively new. Mm-hmm. It's not something that was necessarily done until maybe like the past couple decades where I, I think we kind of agreed that we would describe like the old school methods as being more intervention-based. Like I need to have something done to me. Gotcha. Uh, I don't necessarily need to back it up because I trust this person so just do it to me and I'll get it done and then I'll feel better yeah versus now where it's like okay well there's much more nuance to that maybe Mm -hmm. we don't necessarily need to do something to you we need to show you how you can help yourself and here's all the research to back it up or here's why a certain intervention may be better than others but here's all the research to back it up here's my broad evidence base that I'm basing my opinion upon yeah um yeah I think that's relatively new do you find that in your field or yeah well I mean um there, there's a, a flood of information and research out there now, um, you know, particularly in the mental health field because it is growing. Um, it is becoming more popular. You're seeing a lot of like Nike ads and things like that where get your mental health right. And um, I don't know. So I'm, I'm grilling Nike. I don't even know if uh, there's no particular commercial I'm referencing, but it is becoming more popular now and it is becoming. And I'd love to see that. Uh, I'm really glad that it's getting attention and awareness um, if it's in commercials or whatever is happening, you know, things like Bell Let's Talk and and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, But we're in a a time now, Matt, where we have more access to information than we've ever had before. Mm -hmm. And so back in the time, um, you know, uh, of of Sigmund Freud and, and, you know, and... uh, those people, you know, when they were doing something here and it was kind of like, oh, this person was reading a ton of books and knows a bunch of stuff, so I'm going to trust them because I've read no books and have no access to internet. Um, So I'll just trust them for what they say. But now we can go back and be like, I have this ton of information at my fingertips that I can put those things through the ringer 
uh, those claims to the ringer and, yeah. and kind of, you know. Um, but with great power comes great responsibility, right, Matt? Right. Where we have that ton of information and anybody can put that information up. Yeah. Right? You think about Wikipedia. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, anybody can edit that. Anybody can change um, whatever information is there to make it look like it's true. And so uh, I think it's really important for us now to take this new power that we have, mm-hmm. uh, this wealth of information we have access to, and do that. Put it through the ringer and, and be skeptical about it. Yeah. Um, find some stuff that like is well-researched and well-founded and, and use that to kind of guide you know, your rehab or guide your, you know, uh, your wellness plan or whatever it is you're doing to, to be better, um, to foster your wellness. (laughs) Plug. (laughs) Um, yeah, the, the thing about evidence-based research and one thing that I've, I've thought about since I've started getting into more evidence-based practices and researching things, um, is that, do you think people value that inherently? Or do you think that it doesn't matter for the lay public and it's just us as clinicians that want to do this? Well, <laughs> not to sound too cynical, <laughs> um, but what I've found is, um, you know what, maybe, maybe it's not even right to say what I've found. Maybe this is just a preconceived bias that I have. People come to me and probably come to you because they want to be fixed. Right. I'm doing air quotes now. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of a like, hey, you're an expert. Give me what you know. Make me better kind of attitude. Um, and, you know, that was kind of something that was warned would happen when I was going through school and stuff. Most clients that I sit down with, I'll, I'll even say in the first bit, preface it with, you know, um, you know, this is going to be a bit of a journey. Like we're going to have to kind of figure out what's going on do a little digging, try some different stuff, see what works best for you. It's not going to be like a one size fit all Mm -hmm. kind of thing. So, you know, I, I think it's, perhaps there are expectations that I have done my research and done and use evidence so that they don't have to. Right. If that makes sense. And so then me being somebody who likes to be ethical in my practice and like to provide the best help that I can, I do do that. I do do the research and I'll look things up and, you know, uh, I'll use things like CBT that's been well researched mindfulness is getting more research now so i'll use that as well Mm -hmm. right these these theories and ideas that um like like i said earlier have been put through the ringer and have been scrutinized and things like that so if someone comes to you with an unhelpful belief that maybe was based on old research that's been debunked would you bring up current research to try and lead them back in the right direction or do you find that's that's too much of a hard jumping off point for people to just psych research at them. Like, well, not at them, but bring it up organically. We're not trying to lecture people. No, but, no. But uh, is that something that you would do, or would you kind of just let that go since that's their current belief and then just keep focusing on the good stuff? Yeah. It, it, it's interesting because I, I don't think I've really come across that. Right. Um, I'm 
trying to, you know, dig through the memory banks here. I don't think I've ever came across someone being like, hey, well, I was told this. Um, I'm going to do this. Um, most cases, it's been, they've been, like, pretty trusting of me. And, yeah. And so I haven't really, but I do enjoy doing that bit of psychoeducation piece. Mm -hmm. You know, I use that as an actual intervention so that um, I'm not somebody who will just be like, here, try this. Trust me, it's going to work. <laughs> um, I, I'm someone who's like, here's, like, I, I've, I've actually sat down and, and walked clients through what I'm doing so that they're aware of how I like to practice and, and what my reasoning is, where my research was done, my evidence, like, I, like all of that so that it's out there and it's obvious so i don't know if i give clients an opportunity to come at me Matt, with anything else because um you know as much as most of my time is spent listening um when i first meet with somebody i make sure that they know the type of clinician i am um and so so that's you know when we think of how we're going to move forward together it's a good fit for them. Mm -hmm. Because again, I think we've talked about it before, Matt, that if, you know, we're, I'm not trying to force anybody to think, you know, a certain way or force them into a therapy that's not going to work for them. So if they say, hey, your personality doesn't jive with me, I'm going to go see somebody else. I'm not going to take offense to that. that. That could legitimately be an issue, mm -hmm. right? Maybe they need to do see somebody else. But um, before they do go, I'm going to make sure that I give them everything that I know. Um, uh, up front and yeah yeah that's a good way to go about it and kind of just sidesteps all like the dubious claims that you would see on instagram and stuff like uh, I, I pick on on instagram but like you said pop psychology you can see that anywhere facebook or whatever yeah and uh you know with my practice it's it's a little bit different where people come to me with all kinds of uh, preconceived ideas from outdated research and uh, not saying that people are inherently bad for thinking those things yeah right? it's all over Social media, you yeah. can you have so much access. Like you said, we're in we're in an information age, yeah. uh, so it's impossible to avoid it. Yeah, and people are going to come to you with beliefs, some helpful, some unhelpful, and trying to navigate someone through that. Uh, it's it it can be tough, very rewarding. Mm -hmm. But uh, part of what I like to do is focus on the things that will help. If someone's doing something that isn't that supported by research it may still elicit a placebo response. Hmm. So am I going to poo-poo that? Yeah. <laughs> and if it's not doing any harm? Yeah. Probably not. Yeah. I'll just let that one slide. Yeah, because, Matt, it sounded like, you know, the, there was purpose behind that question asking me as if they, you've gone through a situation where you have had to do that. Yeah, it's, it's very common in the... Uh, physical rehabilitation fields yeah. but i wasn't sure with like mental illness and psychoanal or uh, psychotherapist psychoanalysis and uh, like, psychology based uh, professions if it was the same kind of thing yeah um but yeah i was just curious yeah yeah well i mean sometimes you know i'll, I'll get the uh, um people saying that they've tried different theories and or different therapies before and that it didn't work for them um and, and sometimes, you know, I, I have to go back and, you know, kind of be like, oh, well, how did you try it? And um, I try not to stick on it too much, but if I feel like it's really going to be a truly helpful therapy and maybe 
there was some reluctance to give it a wholehearted try on their behalf. Um, if I know the client, you know, fairly well, I'll challenge them at some point. Yeah. Um, you know, after we've built up a relationship and I can go back and say, so let's revisit this therapy that you tried before. All right. Maybe we can go back to it now with a different focus and a different, um, and sometimes we'll try it and we're like, nope, still doesn't work. <laughs> that's fine. You move on, right? Yeah. Um, but I've I have had clients, you know, come back to me after not seeing me for a while and be like, hey, like I haven't seen you in a while, but I don't need to. I, I I it actually clicked for me somewhere along the way that this is how to approach that said therapy, and now it's I'm finding it helpful. Um, and you know, I'll come back to you when it's no longer helpful. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, for anyone listening, if, uh, you are someone who's, uh, you know, starting to realize that maybe, excuse me, everything isn't infallible in healthcare and rehab and all these sorts of, uh, interventions that we have, uh, one tool that you can use is if you find yourself looking at a bunch of information that says one thing, mm-hmm. purposely try to debunk it yourself. Mm. Purposely look up information that counteract it and see which actually has more uh, substantial evidence towards. Because yeah. you may be surprised that the people who have like 10 million followers on Instagram who say certain things, that's the vocal minority. If you look at yes. the research, it there's a lot of times that the research does not line up with those very popular claims that you'll see and it can be a very hard pill to swallow for a lot of people for myself included Mm -hmm. i had certain beliefs before actually reading the research based on tons of textbooks that said one thing and then you look at the current research and no that's all outdated stuff yeah (laughs) but it's just the the research hasn't caught up with what we do in clinic yet yeah which is a shame, but uh, the information is out there and it's reasonably easy to access. Um, but the tough part is actually being willing to read it. Yeah. So if you're willing to do that, I would highly recommend if you're seeing a lot of research in one camp, purposely look up the opposite. Yeah. Again, it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of cognitive dissonance. Yes. You're going to want to pull back really hard. Yeah. But I urge you to keep going. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, uh, I'll say that, you know, if I have somebody come see me, I would welcome questions. Yeah. Right. Um, ask your health professional, whatever, for whatever it might be. Um, if you really truly feel like something is kind of off, um, be okay asking, you know, um, we might be experts, you know, in our field, but it doesn't mean that we're immune to, like you said, our own biases and things like that um which of course we check but you know sometimes we don't have (laughs) enough time in the run of the day to (laughs) read 50 papers to make sure that our theory is correct but um you know i think a healthy amount of challenging uh, your your health professionals as well yeah Um, not to the point like you said (laughs) of cynicism but um a healthy amount of uh skepticism yeah and that point of asking questions is very important it's one thing that i try to i I probably 
annoy the shit out of my clients <laughs> <laughs> throughout the entire course of a treatment uh, yeah. especially if they're someone that's new to me and i haven't been seeing them for a while i will constantly say like please ask any questions yeah, you have any yeah. questions please let me know does yeah. this make sense to you like all that kind of stuff and uh, i'm sure i get on some people's nerves about it but uh, i think it's important to leave that door open for a lot of people because there's a lot of times that well, like we've been saying this entire episode that people view healthcare professionals as infallible and, you know, we don't need to question them because they know what's going to help. Yeah. Um, but the problem is that maybe they know things that they haven't said yet that you automatically assume are true. So you haven't felt the need to ask them about it. Mm. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. We don't know what we don't know. Yeah. And that's normal. It's true. Yeah. 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 Um, Anyway, um, I, I'm, I think that uh, we really picked up some interesting cases here today and, and it's interesting to see the direction that our conversation, like our previous episode with case studies, me and Matt didn't share with each other what we we're going to talk about. Um, and even when we were trying to come up with uh, ideas for um, what we were going to call a podcast and things like that, we were like, oh. Like, this is actually pretty similar what we're going to be talking about. Um, so it was really cool to see how that went. Um, and uh, I, I'm actually going to look that up now, Matt, the, the chiropractor thing, because I think that that's so fascinating that there was a group of people that were like, yeah, let me put your spine back in place and you'll be okay with COVID. With COVID. <laughs> <laughs> that's really interesting to me. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, we will see you in the next episode. Bye.